Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Steph and welcome to the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. Uh, This week, Doug and the two big kids are away at rugby camp, so I'm flying solo with Frank, my youngest, and it feels very strange just the two of us kicking about. I'm recording this in the kitchen. You might be able to hear cartoons in the background. He was up before six, which just feels so much worse than after six, but on the upside, he can go to bed by seven, and I've got two evenings to myself of watching trash TV and eating cereal um, for my tea, which is pretty good. I'm going for Selling Sunset, FYI, and Crunchy Nut Cornflakes. And um, yeah, hopefully, maybe tomorrow I'll sleep a bit longer, but I am aware you might be listening to this having got up 10 times in the night, so it's not so bad. I just need to go to bed early and not watch so much Selling Sunset. Uh, It is Maternal Mental Health Week. So this week, I'm speaking with clinical psychologist, Dr. Caroline Boyd, about early motherhood Um, and actually a lot of what she says is relevant whatever stage you're at about how we can look after ourselves how we can reconnect with partners most of all the idea of the super mum myth and a pressure to parent perfectly and enjoy all of it cherish every moment Um, as well as managing all the other things like work and your social life and god drinking enough water Um, you'll know from all the previous episodes that this is the rush hour we talk about and Caroline helps explain the idea of the super mum and where it came from Um, And we also talk about anger. And if anyone listening is experiencing feelings of overwhelm and rage a lot, please speak to a supportive friend um, and a trusted health professional like your GP. I actually went to see my GP when Mabel, my second, was a few months old and I just felt so foggy and not right and quite angry. Um, And he really reassured me and helped me with how to explain it to Doug, how I felt and what I needed from him um, more and just telling someone, I can remember afterwards just feeling a massive shift because I'd said it out loud to someone who was a professional. Um, But yeah, so I hope you'll find a lot of what Caroline says reassuring and whatever you're feeling, you definitely won't be the only one feeling it. How was your morning? Has it been chaos? Or you've just said you had a swim, so... You're feeling zen? Yes, I'm feeling that kind of post-exercise high. Um, it rarely happens that I get to go for a swim. I've usually got my dog. So today, yeah, it's, it's a good start and the sun's shining. I would just like to share that I haven't had a good morning because the foxes got into my food waste <gasps> bin 
again. I was just saying, oh. to, I, I feel like we're just not adults because they keep doing it and we're not managing to resolve it. And then they keep, yeah, it's like, I feel like my dad would know what to do they to stop this. But now I think they just come and we get our milk delivered or we did, we've had to cancel it because they got into every <gasps> bottle. That is so cheeky. Are you a Londoner? Yeah, Richmond. I mean, I don't know what they're like in Richmond, but they, I'm in North London and they're pretty casual. They're just not... Yeah. Uh, we, I have foxes sometimes just sunbathing in my garden. Doug was like, there's one out there looking really plush. Like he's really looks like a cartoon <laughs> fox. I was like, yes, because they're going through our bins. Anyway, but it was just one of those mornings where I was like, this would have been okay. We could have held it together today. Except yeah. then that is, there's always, but there will always be something else, right? There's always something that breaks the straw on the camel's back. Yeah. When you think you've got it together. Yeah. Well. I wanted to talk to you, obviously, about motherhood. So you are a psychologist, Dr. Caroline Boyd, let's get it correct. And your most recent, you've got a book called Mindful New Mum, which is beautiful. And you, you. we've, and it's included in Don't Buy Her Flowers packages, which is excellent. I think it's doing really well in the pregnancy package, actually. Oh, great. So it's a guide that covers pregnancy in the first year and it's broken down into the different stages, but it's not just like practical and it's not just emotional. It's got the combination of both, which I think is quite unique. So there's some yoga and breathing and nutrition stuff, but there's also some Mm. stuff about what might be going on emotionally for people mm-hmm. do you want to explain the book and why you wrote it oh well no I think that's a really great way of describing it of trying to combine those elements I guess where to start I was asked to write this book and I thought how can I make it most helpful for a tired new mum you know I wasn't reading tons of books when I just had my no. babies yeah you know it is illustrated which I'm really pleased about that's no credit to me and give us too many words to read <laughs> I'm retired yeah it's not too dense and mm. I think what I really wanted to do um is put together evidence-based psychology ideas that I you know bring into my client work every day you know established therapeutic tools for coping with emotions that would be helpful for a new mum to guide her through those moments when, you know, we, we've all been there, but when maybe you've had a bad day, especially with new babies, it's really hard sometimes to fathom what is going on for them. And you're trying your best to make sense of their confusing internal, physical and emotional states. And, and that is a big job in itself. So really, I wanted to just bring together a really compassionate toolkit for new mums, very practical. So I offer meditations, visualizations, affirmations, along with, like you say, the nutrition and the natural remedies that in years gone by would have been passed down by grandmothers. But because communities have broken down, we just don't have that wisdom to draw on. We don't have babies to practice on in the way that we would have done you know historically that's so true actually it's the fact that quite often I know loads of people including myself really I think I had I had some nephews but I hadn't ever really got involved in the nitty-gritty of you know moving them about and holding them in nappies and we we haven't had that around us quite often And, and you might be somebody in your 30s having a baby and for the first time find yourself like oh holding one let alone having to actually look after it but this is it and you know for a lot of women I think you know, you come to having a baby when you might be established in your career and, you know, Mm. have quite a high level of competence and feel that attached to that bit of your, your identity. And then you come to having a baby and it, it can just feel like the days, you know, they lack any predictability or order. 
And mm-hmm. I, I use the metaphor of a snow globe, but it can feel like you've been just really shaken up and up into the air go your identities, your relationships, your pre-baby selves. Sometimes it feels like body parts have moved around. I think they do, don't they? <laughs> Mine felt like they did. <laughs> I mean, I draw on a frame and a framework, I guess, called matrescence, which is a really, I think, reassuring way of understanding the huge brain, body and identity changes that go on in this transition. And and actually, mm. it gives a real opportunity amidst, you know, the some painful experiences and um, and some very challenging experiences. I think it gives a really big, unique opportunity for radical transformation where you can really have a look at the old patterns and habits that just no longer serve you you know all the things that we've learned as perhaps as little girls growing up to be good to be doing to be achieving which I guess come to mean that our self-worth comes to be equated with productivity and busyness so actually yeah. even the slowing down when you have a baby can feel like a real shift and that can feel difficult for some women too mm. if somebody was listening to this and they're in the midst of that first baby bit especially the first baby I think cause it does feel different after that if you have other babies it could feel quite ambitious to be like oh I need to slow down and I need to like all these things that they need to do to regain control that will make them feel better, but it might feel like quite a big step. But in the book, you say exactly that allowing yourself space to tune into your intuition and connect with your values. So it's almost Mm. that having to, and it's, I suppose it's the same with anything when you start a new job or when you're in a relationship or anything like pausing to go, right, wait, what do I want out of this? Mm. How is this going to work well for me? What are my values? But I think it's particularly hard when you've had a baby when exactly, everything Mm. has changed at that beginning bit especially yeah I mean it's it's really it's anxiety provoking it's emotionally challenging and it's Mm. it's hard to be juggling your baby's set of needs and your own this is a bit of an aside but I think it's helpful not to see those sets of needs as competing but actually as as more sort of interconnected and then we can approach mm. that from a more compassionate frame. And that's why I draw on mindful compassion in my book. But to speak to what you were saying about, you know, what we want to be doing, and I think what mindfulness helps us do is really shine a light on what really matters right now. And, and that's about mm. getting in, partly about getting in touch with your values and working out, well, what kind of mum do I want to be? And, mm. and turning down all the noise, there is so much noise, there is so, so much expectation to just bounce back, whether that's your pre-baby body or self <laughs> or work role. Yeah, all of it. All yeah, of that. Yeah. And that narrative is so unhelpful. And the, and the expectation is to do all of that unsupported and, and sort of effortlessly. I guess it's about really trying to develop a new relationship with yourself. And that's, you know, a kind of relationship with yourself and, and just getting in touch with what you're thinking and feeling you know and then in turn that gives you more head and heart space to be wondering about what your baby might be thinking and feeling the difficulty like you say is just that in those early weeks months you know I think it's just important to normalize some of the anxiety that mums might feel and the kind of oh my god 
I've just brought this baby home from hospital. Am I the one expected to look after this baby? This is why the conversation is so important, right? Because there's always new people coming into it. And I think one of the dangers is that people who are out the other side do forget a lot. Mm-hmm. And or if they have subsequent babies, it's not perhaps quite so hard. I and mean, I know it will depend on the individual challenges of the baby. But generally mm. speaking, the second baby, the third baby. I mean, by the time if you were to have four, I think you would just <laughs> they just do it themselves. But it it does become easier. And the re- like for me, the reason that the third one was easier is I was so much kinder to myself. Mm-hmm. I really did not worry about anybody or anybody thought or felt I was happy to ask for help I even got help in with um, a postnatal doula when I knew Doug was going to be away and mm. and I knew I was going to be finding it hard because I I remembered from from the previous two I mean I would actually say I've been hearing more lately that that mums on their second third maybe fourth baby feel mm. a pressure to have it all sorted mm. um, I think what you're talking about is different because you're talking about actively drawing on resources around you perhaps based on learning from your past experience but I I wonder if there is added pressure to to get it all to have it all figured out that you should know what you're doing yeah yeah Mm, yeah true I did with my second actually that's true yeah and in a way I think you can you can come to this we're all kind of coming to to this I mean whatever however you want to call it but this I guess developing this new relationship with yourself this kind of bringing mindful awareness to actually what's going on for you and your um, your emotional capacity in any given moment which is you know it's not Mm. no easy task yeah and sort of questioning some of these beliefs that we've internalized as we've been growing up and I think as part of this conversation you know we need to really also talk about how where these pressures are coming from in terms of a the reality you know we just as we were saying before we don't have this extended family to support us Mm. like we would have done um in years gone by so so we're really isolated in our parenting and this is not our fault so that's a very abnormal context and then on top of that we've got these pressures from what I refer to as the myth of super mum but sometimes people refer to it as the perfect mother myth that we we ought to know we ought to know what we're doing that motherhood comes naturally you know this idea that we need to be calm, coping, in control at all times. And this has a real impact, I think, on women's experiences. It really did on my research on um, intrusive thoughts. And it means that we strive to live up to this ideal. And it has really bad consequences in terms of feeling like we, we shouldn't accept offers of help. We shouldn't show any vulnerability. We can't show any signs we're struggling. So, so it means that mum's uphold the mask you know I'm fine and add more on as well I think isn't it not only can I do this but yes and then I can get back to work quickly Mm. or I can I can get to that party that probably you could have said no to because you've got a small kid or that weekend away or that and it's trying to fit everything in because you call it the supermum myth well I guess it's thinking about like where it's come from and it's and it's Mm. it's the idea that motherhood is instinctual we we innately know how to mother and and so with that comes the myth of the instant rush of love when you have your baby and and that Mm. in itself is really unhelpful and we know that in reality I think it's nearly half of new mums report feelings of indifference when their baby arrives 
and and a lot of that is is to do with just sheer exhaustion but the these myths really feed into the idea that we should be mothering in a certain way and we should be feeding a certain way and it really I mean it has really negative consequences because it means that when we do have inevitably have negative feelings I'm just putting my fingers up to put that in quotes and those darker thoughts and feelings that come up in mothering which of course they'd come up then we feel real discomfort around that a lot of distress can come up around that and that can come from just the balancing the and tolerating uncertainty and ambivalence yeah which is actually it's normal but supermum doesn't make us feel like it is no and then I guess you it just makes you even less likely to get the help as you get more desperate almost if you're feeling even worse you're going to be working even harder to show that everything's fine and I can do this I I know of plenty of people who had children at the same time as me and probably myself as well where I limited what I said and then a year later you kind of go oh it was dreadful you know I felt so low but you you can't really put it into words almost and there's that piece about feeling really ungrateful and you've got people around you oh it's so amazing you should be cherishing that bloody cherish every moment yeah yeah (laughs) it's like how how can I do that when I just feel rotten and sad and lonely and all those things yeah the treasure every moment idea is really tied in with those myths of motherhood do you think that people used to say that generations ago I would say no I don't know I'm thinking about like where these myths came from and and how far back and in my mind they're really in western culture is what we're talking about they're really linked with patriarchy Mm. there's a quote from um, a feminist psychologist called Paula Nicholson who's great and she said it suits men for women to mother. So I think many, you know, many, many years ago in terms of our ancestors, no, definitely not people. (laughs) They didn't have those narratives. They really do, I think, impact on a woman's experience. Like we know that they super mom really shapes women's expectations of motherhood. And then obviously that sets us up to fail. And when we come to discovering Mm -hmm. the messy reality that of course, it's not like that. Um, then it can be a real shock. And I think also your point about it silencing women and for you it limited what you said and what you shared about your mm. about mm. some of the struggles. I think you're absolutely not alone in that. I think there'll be so many women listening feeling like, yeah, I felt like that. And it is hard to put it into words. I guess another big theme in my book is about encouraging help-seeking and the idea that we're, we're not designed to mother alone and transformation occurs in relationships with other people. So I do really encourage mums to take a risk, whether that's talking to a mum friend. Often it's just through the talking that you make sense of things. And it might be that you talk to one person and they don't really give you what you need and they're busy upholding the super mum myth, mm-hmm. especially if it's perhaps an NCT group or someone you've met through like a baby group thing and you don't really know each other in the way that with your with, with your old mates, you can look at them and go, I know that you're struggling. Yeah. I think the thing that I found is that lot, it sometimes felt like no one else felt like that. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think almost everybody does feel like all the things that we're talking about but some people are willing to talk about it and some people aren't. Mm-hmm. And I found that really helped me in a way. To, when I, Once I'd realised that, I was like, oh, well, then, okay, they, they don't want to talk about it, but I do mm. and I need to, mm. rather than I'm the only one who feels like this and everyone else is coping brilliantly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's difficult because the task really is for a mum to kind of assess in the moment, is this person 
safe you know is this person going to be empathetic yeah. so there needs to be a little bit of that in sort of moment to moment working out so I think it is about trying again absolutely you know mm. two and three mums have thoughts that they're a bad mum the, the negative thoughts we know how common they are and so chances are if you talk to someone she won't you know she'll have had similar experiences or, or may be able to validate your own and I think as far as you know feelings go towards your partner that's also something that needs to be acknowledged that it, it can put a real strain on the partner relationship if you do have one so in my book I really wanted to put in exercises for the couple inviting mindful conversations very practical way so maybe mm -hmm. building in 20 minutes of your week to have a conversation about maybe what you found difficult what went well but just really emphasizing empathetic listening rather than problem solving because mm -hmm. I hear a lot you know in my work that actually mums just want to feel listened to and 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 heard so it's about mm -hmm. trying to encourage that dynamic as well to help them feel heard and then of course the partner too. You talk about creating connections with your partner and I think pre-kids I don't think we had to really think about mm. I mean, I'm talking about Doug and I here, but I think probably most people, we didn't have to really think about connecting because we were just always doing things that involved connecting. Mm. So that was cooking for each other or eating together or meeting up for a drink on the way home from work because we could. Yeah. <laughs> and then that goes overnight. And one, I don't think you're really told or anyone's really explained that that's going to happen necessarily. We've just not even realised but also that you will have to intentionally, and you talk about intentional kindness, you'll have to intentionally put those things back in if you want to make your relationship work. And you're doing that whilst you're really tired and probably hormonal and not getting enough sleep and there's a baby mm. there. So you can't just go, oh, fuck it, let's go for a drink. Yeah, I think it's about creating space for it. And, and I, I guess it's about setting it up as well, you know, setting it up where you invite each other to have that conversation where it's in a, a calmer moment so it's not when things have escalated it's not when you're both feeling mm. reactive I talk about ways to set it up in your book which can help you both feel safe and um, I guess you know rather than criticized because that's when communication mm. can break down I mean it's difficult because there might be a couple where the mum is is very perfectionist and is very critical of her partner and that means she doesn't want him to do things in a certain way and that often means that actually what she's most critical of is herself the target of criticism is generally mostly herself so it's really also trying to encourage partners to keep don't just be fobbed off with the I'm fine you know really try to ask open questions and and show kindness in a way that invites a mum to kind of drop her defences a bit and show a bit of vulnerability mm. because of those masks that we were talking about. And I think the other thing that doesn't really get spoken about so much um, is that we might discuss whether we want to have a baby, but we don't discuss it beyond that. And so we will come to parenting having had our own experiences of being parented. And that really also plays into the experience um you know this new baby's arrived that affects the dynamics in itself and and so I talk about you know the ghosts in the nursery can intrude and that's just relationships with our own primary caregivers our own parents if we mm -hmm. you know if we lived with them both 
and and how soothed and safe we were we felt in those relationships you know did we learn that we needed to cut off from certain emotions as a as a way of coping or were we actually more preoccupied with you know our parents emotions rather than tending to our own so we come to yeah. to parenting with with certain God, styles so and scripts. <laughs> there's no I mean there's no wonder it's so bloody hard <laughs> when you put put it like that like yeah and you've never had to think about it before because those things they do come out in you as a person for, through your whole life but they really come out at this mm. point when when the baby arrives yeah it's it's a time of of real vulnerability um that's yeah. the first thing we need to start from isn't it rather than this idea of oh mum mm. will bounce back soon mm. so I have an exercise called an appreciative inquiry and that's a way that couples can try to gently you know talk together about their own experiences of being parented and and maybe try to be starting to think about what patterns they might want to take forward you know that they found helpful mm-hmm. and and what they reject and what they they don't want to re reenact um and then that's a mm-hmm. chance for the couple to start thinking about their own family scripts and and creating those together hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
you write about, especially on your Instagram, you've talked quite a lot about rage and maternal rage. Can we talk about that? Because I think it's something that's not talked about that much, mm -hmm. but when it is, and I see it on your um, platform, and I know I wrote once about when I, it was a post called When New Mums Get Angry, mm -hmm. but it, again, it was a total shock because I'd never felt particularly angry at Doug prior to having children and then it happened after all three I loved your blog um post by the way I think it's the probably the most one of the most stigmatized emotions in mothering isn't it um so I think it's a brave and great thing to to write about it and to let women know that it's okay to feel this way um I mean I guess it's important while we're talking about maternal rage to distinguish between anger as a normal human emotion and aggression mm -hmm. as a behavior and so it's not about condoning aggressive behavior mm -hmm. it's about thinking about ways to create space for your own anger and safe ways to express it and channel it constructively what's happening when we are hitting that i think you've talked about flipping their lid yeah well and and this is something that we all do we all we flip our lids you know <laughs> It's quite a common thing. What happens in that process is there's a big physiological process. So it happens after a series of provocations. So the idea is that anger builds on anger. And if you think about a new mom navigating all these challenges that we've been talking about, you know, there will be provocations throughout the day, maybe feeling overstimulated, overwhelmed. Maybe she's got older siblings vying for her attention. Maybe her baby hits mm -hmm. out at her unintentionally. So by the fourth, fifth, sixth ag aggravation, we erupt into a ball of rage. And when we get to this point, we flipped our lid, we're beyond seeing logic and our thinking brain has gone offline and we're hijacked by our emotional brain so the limbic part of our our brain and even our moral reasoning has gone out of whack so it means that we can no longer be connected to ourselves or to our children and that's why we then might act in ways that are scary to our baby or to our children or to our partner my rage very much came out at Doug that would be where I'd go and I can remember it being quite scary because I'd never felt like that. I've never been an aggressive person or an angry person particularly. Mm. And I'd not really shouted at anyone. Like that real hurts your throat shouting when you're so cross. And it's and it is like that. I know people describe seeing red. It's that. Yeah. And it's really scary if you're not somebody who I mean, I'm sure it's scary for anyone. Especially when you as you say, you're going against what being a mum mm. and being a woman is supposed to be. And you should be cherishing every moment and you're there like with a raw throat where you <laughs> shout it so hard. Yeah. And it's actually really tied in with with that because, you know, you think about that myth of of super mum and Mm. society tells us good mothers aren't allowed to feel angry you know mm. the super mum has us believe that good mums must not show any anger certainly not that and must be calm and be serenely loving every moment like you say mm. so what happens is when we feel anger and we can also think about all of the narratives around girls when we're growing up to be good and not make too much of a fuss mm -hmm. And what that means is that when we do feel anger, we suppress it. So we shove it down and that leaves it bubbling beneath the surface. 
so that when we do have that fourth, fifth, sixth aggravation, it all just Mm. comes spilling out. I think in that post I wrote about not replacing the toilet roll, like just leaving the empty one on the thing. And if in a normal day, you just would be like, well, he's a dickhead. In that moment, you're like, how could, why is he doing this? Why is he making my life harder? That's how I felt. Like, why is he not making this easier? Why do I have to do everything? That's where I used to come from, I think. Yeah. You know, we know this, that there's a whole range of stressors that play into anger for mums mm-hmm. and and so one of them is thinking about the pressures of super mum and and that leads to impossible expectations for ourselves and our children they need to be perfect too but it's also it's related to lack of sleep to lower income and also to trauma so that might be a difficult birth um, it might also be traumatic experiences growing up when perhaps anger was shamed in us or modelled in a way to us that was scary or unpredictable. And anger is also related to unfulfilled expectations from partners and those around us. There's a lot of pain in that, I think. Um, so there's actually, it's quite complex. There's a, there's a lot of things that can feed into it. And also, I, I always have in the back of my head someone going, oh, well, we didn't complain about it when we were, we did this, or people have been having babies for billions of years or not billions but you know like a long time there's Mm. been millions of babies and you have that as a narrative in your head which makes you think well I'm being I'm being unreasonable like why can't I get this together but when you add in the factors of our expectation is very different to that of our parents Mm. and our grandparents and our expectation of what we should be able to do and our careers and our, how we look and all that stuff. And I'm not saying one is right or wrong. In some ways, it would all be a lot simpler if we were all in very traditional roles. I don't want that, but you can kind of see how that would be more simple. And we're we're basically trying to do all of it. Like we're mm. trying, women are still predominantly, whatever anyone says, the primary caregiver often yeah. at home. Yeah. And we're working and we want to work and we're doing more and more with work and having more opinion and having more care of of just all this stuff. You can't fit it in. And I don't know what the answer is, but I suppose it does help to go, yeah, no, there is quite a lot there rather than, oh, well, people have been doing this for years. We should be fine. Firstly, the, the coming to it from the perspective of, oh, I should be doing a better job. You know, people have been doing this for donkey's years and it's coming from what I would call a reactive frame of thinking and a a fear-based frame of thinking. And, you know, you're talking about the rise in awareness about child development, which which creates more pressures for Mm mums. The idea that we ought to know what we're doing. Um, And the, the fact that we shoulder a lot of the responsibility alone. And that really was shown in the pandemic and and I think I do agree with you that it's it's actually made things harder for women even though you know ostensibly we have more choices but actually we're now we've been sold this idea that we we need to do it all and that we need to not only be super mom but super wife and super everything so I guess this is about firstly bringing mindful awareness to these ideas and narratives that we've been Mm. sold and working to unlearn some of these beliefs that come from you know these are kind of fear-based self-limiting beliefs do these still serve us no they don't and understanding Mm. that you know unless you've got 
so much money that you can outsource it's it's not something that women can do or at least if they do try and juggle all those things which we know a lot of women you know do want to connect with their work identity as as well as have a family but that if if we do try and do it all to to the perfectionist standards that we've been led to believe we must then it leads to burnout and and that's where we suffer as a result we we've often come at the bottom of the pile so how can we rework things and and so i guess it for this i'm talking about how can i get in touch with myself in a more authentic way and connect with my values as we we're talking about at the beginning and really live my life in a way that fits for me and my family and dial down all the noise and and it through doing this work out a way where I can be kinder to myself and I can actually critically think about my needs which might make me feel guilty because of all those internal yeah, beliefs. Uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, it's, right? It's uncomfortable developing the confidence to to know that I can control those big emotions when they come come up rather than being swept away by the those tidal mm-hmm. waves these emotions mm-hmm. won't destroy me and that might mean that process is not a quick process that might mean getting support that might mean talking to a therapist or it might just be processing your experience with with a, a supportive friend um but but processing your experience to understand that your emotional internal world better getting to know that and then that's really thinking what is my capacity you know should i say no actually to that pta thing that i've been asked to do yeah. or that extra work thing um or whatever it is and in doing so that creates a, some conflict and some guilt maybe mm. but it's understanding that you know that's not necessarily a sign that that's a bad thing and this is going to work for me mm. i mean i use draw on compassion focused therapy where you understand the three circles of emotions which make up our nervous system and so one of those is the threat system which is where fight flight freeze happens and that is when we move into threat mode you know that's when anger comes up or sadness or disgust and then the other system is around doing so that might be that's called the drive and excitement system and that might be around performing at school performing well at say in your career and that's all connected with our reward pathway and the hormone dopamine and then the third system is our soothing system and this is the one that is often neglected particularly in tired new mums but actually this is mm. the one we need to try we need to learn ways to connect to and so my book is all around that really is is developing skills to soothe yourself so that you can feel safe and in turn feel more connected with your baby well and that all allows you to cope in a way that's not just well i'll just do everything and and that will allow me to you know i can cope if i just do this and do this and do this and do and just going back to what i learned with my third that's what i'd learned i'd Mm. learned i needed to do that Mm. i learned that and it physically meant that i could cope better with feeding and stuff yeah and of of course it does because your body is trying to do this thing but i think when you're when you have your first, you don't understand that necessarily. 
there is a lot going on in that transition with all those mm. changes, um, you know, occurring in your brain and your identity and your body and the relationships around you. I don't know, maybe it's helpful to use anger as a, a bit of an example about thinking about what can help because that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it offers a bit of hope, doesn't it? Um, yeah, we need some of that. Come on. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's bring some hope. So yeah. I, I think it's um, when anger does come up, it's thinking about the function of our emotions. And, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about all the things that can play into it. But actually, anger is it's a signal. It's alerting us to an unmet need. And, you know, it's also about what it's masking, what other emotions lie beneath it. So that might be grief or loneliness. And so it's just trying to be curious about that. Is that because anger is easier sometimes than understanding those other things? Like, is that why that manifests before going, oh my God, it's because I'm just really scared and lonely? In some ways, anger is helpful because it's, you know, perhaps working in as a therapist, anger is helpful because then you can you can work with that and perhaps dig down and, and explore a bit deeper to the fear that might lie or the grief that might lie beneath that, that, that feels to that person more scary to show. And I think also actually anger can be purely anger, you know, anger at your partner for, for not helping you in a way that you need them to. But often it's actually, I think the anger is directed inwards to ourselves and that might be because of expectations of our motherhood going back to that you know that we had hopes Mm -hmm. and expectations to breastfeed say and for whatever reason maybe you weren't able to do that and so feeling anger around kind of broken expectations around motherhood you know what do we do with all of this (laughs) I guess it's about trying to learn skills around self-awareness and self-soothing all of which I acknowledge is difficult with a new baby while you're getting to know them and but it is possible and it's actually a really great it is it's it's kind of a unique opportunity to to turn inward in a way that you may not have done before and if it feels really overwhelming then that might be a sign that you need extra support and I think if Mm -hmm. if you're having moments of overwhelm a lot and I think the middle of the night can be a really a really hard time for mums, mm. you know, perhaps waking multiply to feed their baby, not feeling supportive, feeling very alone in it. Because I think generally it's about tuning into signs that you might be about to overspill. So, you know, right. what are the signs for you? Do you become more sweary or snappy or shouty? Um, <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> and and then it's it's really about trying to bring mindful awareness to how you're feeling in the moment and responding crucially responding with compassion so let's think about the middle of the night you've woken multiple times and you're completely exhausted you've had a tough day anyway and you know when your baby's crying and crying you might feel being completely swallowed up by your baby's needs and I think it's perhaps even harder to keep a perspective in the middle of the night so it's thinking about anger what is it it's a response to a direct physical threat or a threat to our dignity our self-esteem or feeling violated in some way and so it can be a response to your partner not helping with the load and and perhaps your baby crying what you 
trying to do is I share an exercise called the three R's. And so the first R is regulate as in self-regulate. So this might mean putting your baby down safely if you can or handing her over to someone else if you if you have the opportunity to do that. And just splashing your face with cold, icy water is a really great way of soothing your nervous system and soothing some of that reactivity. And then just focusing on your breath. We know this automatically relaxes our body and soothes our nervous system. So breathing in, say, for three, once you can find your breath, breathing in for three, and then a longer exhale, breathing out for six. And then the second R is reconnect. So reconnect is about trying to tune into your emotions and name them. And it it's really soothing just to rest a hand on your heart and say, you know, I'm so exhausted. I'm really pissed off right now. However you verbalize those feelings, just name them. Mm-hmm. We know that's really helpful. And notice your inner critic, you know, is it comparing you to others or an idealized version of you? And the antidote to shame, which often comes with our self-critical thoughts, is empathy. So try telling yourself, other mums struggle too. You know, Mm. this it's going to be okay. And I am safe because you are safe in that moment, um, even though those emotions feel really unpleasant. And I am human. And then the third R is about repair. So coming back together with your baby and doing some lovely mutual soothing, which helps them understand their feelings, you know, so that might look like softly talking to your baby, just saying, you know, mommy's here, and cuddling, and then also doing something that soothes you, which will in turn soothe your baby. So that might be just putting on really gentle music, ambient music that you like, rocking. But the repair is the most important bit. When when there's been a rupture, you're letting them know these big feelings aren't bad or to be frightened of you know we all have moments when we overspill and you know there are moments when we're not in step with each other and that's okay Mm. and that happens with all relationships the same you know with partners too we're not we can't always be in step with each other well and recognizing that you're not always in step with that that's normal yes to, to not always be in step with each other whether that's family kids connection it's for me time just the five of us is really critical mm-hmm because that's when we all reconnect in the week. Like we both work, they've got clubs and activities and mates and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but it's when we get together, just the five of us, we get on really well mm-hmm. because we reconnect and, yeah. and acknowledging it's okay during the term time, whatever it's not, it's not going to be like that all the time because you're just trying to survive some of it. Absolutely. And we're not, we're not meant to mentalize all the time, you know, so, and that's yeah. about understanding the good enough mum. So in the book, you talk about looking after ourselves. Basically, there is a different way to to how to this kind of the guilt and the super mum and all that stuff. And the, some of the things you mentioned, you've got about cocooning with your baby, that idea ties in with the kind of the speed we expect of recovery as well. I mm. think that where our mums had 10 days in hospital with a midwife you know looking after them and making sure they slept my mum was a midwife and she said you know we used to take the baby away at night and let them sleep and we'd only bring the baby in when we couldn't soothe them anymore so meanwhile the the mum would get a load of sleep hopefully Mm, mm. um 
Whereas now you could be in the hospital for like four hours and be out. So you might not be able to have that recovery in hospital, but what can you do in your home to make it feel a bit more like you don't have to get up? I can remember being in the kitchen sweeping after one of the kids and Doug coming in being like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, it's fine. I've just got, and it was just stupid. Like physically, I shouldn't have been doing that. You have to talk yourself down. I guess maybe it's conversations before the baby arrives of what your expectation is together with your partner and your family members and visitors and all that stuff so that you're not launched straight into this madness. I couldn't agree more. And I think that pressure to just get back to to your pre-baby self is is really unhelpful because what does that mean your pre-baby self like that's not Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't say that's necessarily helpful as an idea and also it's reinforced by I guess the medical system and and then what's expected of us after the baby's born so I think you know if we think about more collectivist cultures they have a defined sort of or they sometimes call a confinement period where the mother Mm -hmm is nourished with sort of nutrient dense foods and nurtured and and the her relatives around her will will mm. muck in and take on the hands-on tasks you know the washing mm. the cooking the cleaning i guess that's another element in my book is encouraging mums to identify their own circle of support and mm-hmm. and encouraging the idea you know what does that mean the mum and the baby are sort of in the innermost circle, if you imagine like concentric circles, and mm-hmm. the partner might be in that too, if if you have a partner. But then who else is around you that can offer different kinds of support? So that emotional closeness where you have perhaps one or two friends who just get it. And where would you mm-hmm. put them perhaps in the, the next layer out, but you know, quite close to you? And then thinking about social support. So that might also be about a health professional, like a health visitor that you have a good relationship with or a midwife or perhaps your GP. And then also more practical support where you're enlisting helpers rather than visitors, which take up a lot of energy. And no mum should be entertaining visitors, you know, in those weeks. It's such a weird thing that people want to see this baby instantly, but also they don't really do anything and if you and then those same visitors I definitely found after Buster my first they you didn't then see them for months if not years some of them <laughs> where it was like they had to be that first person to be or one of the first few people to see the baby yeah but for what for who who is that actually benefiting because it's not the mum and the baby generally speaking unless they come and help you and even then they need to le- send you upstairs to sleep so actually physically help so that you're recovering. Like it's a really strange it is. concept. I think it really is all part of this narrative that mum's needs aren't so important. And once yeah. once the baby's out safely, then the mum gets a bit lost. And and I think that that's why I find matrescence such a, a reassuring but actually empowering lens for this transition. Because it mm. really places a mother at the heart and I think that is really important about thinking about a mother's real needs and and encouraging the mother to do that for herself in a culture that unfortunately you know doesn't meaningfully support mothers um, and families 
in the absence of that, I think we we need to be able to contain ourselves and then reach out for support. But people really like to help as well. Like that's you're not you're asking them to like please take my family and look after them for the day or whatever. But like, could you pick me up some potatoes? Like people like to feel helpful like, mm. like remember the beginning of lockdown where people were helping elderly neighbors and all that stuff that no one had done for years yeah it's like it's a nice feeling it makes you feel useful it doesn't have to take up loads of your time but the the difference that makes to someone with a new baby is just massive those are the really important you know those campaigns if you like or those alternative mm. stories are just so important for helping moms think you know actually you need to just be looking after yourself and gathering people around you as best you can to look after you. And just having that as a basis, really, the foundation is we need to be kind to ourselves and we need to we need to work out ways that we can we can show compassion to ourselves, whether that's, you know, thinking about what we're eating and, and, and eating that sandwich even if the baby's crying, making sure you eat that sandwich before, say, perhaps you go to comfort them because you'll need your energy to do that. Mm. So just thinking about your basic needs and then, you know, the bigger needs that come once you've sorted out your basic needs. Mm. I've got one final question, which is more about you, actually. But obviously you you have a career and kids can I ask you about whether you feel overwhelmed and kind of how does it manifest and what do you do when you can feel that rising? Firstly, yes, I do <laughs> feel overwhelmed. <laughs> we all do. Um, yeah. yeah, we all do. You know, I had my two children, they're now six and eight, while I was training, doing my clinical training on the doctorate. That was an experience in itself, actually. <laughs> mm. So, yes, I do get overwhelmed I think what I've got more practiced at is recognizing when my cup's about to overspill and recognizing when I'm reaching capacity and so yeah understanding that I have limits we all have limits um and maybe just hopefully through learning I've had therapy as well as part of being a psychologist I think that's really important Um, we've all been through a tough time in the pandemic. So I think it's about being aware of your own capacity and being able to tune into that and then think, okay, what, what do I need? What, and then trying to respond with compassion. So it's, it's awesome. a learning and it's, it's ongoing. You know, we, things go up and down for all of us, depending on what's going yeah. on around us. Thank you so much. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much to Caroline and to you for listening. I would massively appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying it. And if you found this episode reassuring, you might want to try the Kate Lawler episode from a couple of weeks ago where she talks about the first year of being a mum. I'm off to get Frank dressed, which usually involves wrestling. Um, And hopefully have a pretty chilled one. I hope you have a good week, whatever you're doing. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.